Hello, Village Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. If I haven't yet met you, uh, we're glad to have you here with us this, together this morning. Um, we are in a sermon series uh, we're calling Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days out of the books of First and Second Peter. And this morning we're going to be talking about Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days at Work. Anyone have that? Helpful okay, Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days at Work. Not a lot of hands. I guess you guys have cush jobs, all right? Um, Maybe um, some of you are astute, and you heard Lauren just read, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this sounds more like a sermon then on um, helpful wisdom for hard days at unpaid work. Helpful wisdom for hard days um, in servitude or in slavery. Maybe some of you are even thinking, is, is Peter condoning slavery? Like, is he talking about slavery and is he condoning slavery? Some of you are astute, and so I don't want to move past this this morning because it's here, it's in the Bible, and there's a reason. And for those of you who are asking that question, or maybe you're not yet a Christian, and you would ask, does the Bible condone slavery? Is, is Peter condoning slavery? Talking about servants and masters? I would say the simple answer is, no, no, Peter is not condoning slavery in this passage, but Peter is addressing Christians who might find themselves in that position of servant and not master in Roman culture, and he's telling them how to conduct themselves if they find themselves in that place in Roman culture. Maybe a little context would help us this morning also. Um, in Roman culture, the master-servant relationship was the most common form of employer-employee relationship in the empire. So you think of a vast Roman empire, the most common relationship wasn't like W-2, 1099. It was like master-servant. That was the most common employer-employee relationship in the Roman empire. And so we titled this helpful, work for hard, helpful Wisdom for Hard Days at Work because well, this was one of the more common forms of work in the Roman Empire. And perhaps no uh, workers would have harder days potentially at work than servants would. I want to let you know um, contextually also the term servant or slave that Peter is using here is very different than our understanding of slavery in America. And I, I say that very tenderly. You know, I, I say that with a little, there's a little nuance in this passage. I think we've proven we live in a culture that doesn't like nuance. Is that true? And so this morning we need to, we need to kind of think a little nuanced. This is not what our understanding of slavery is. And, and I want you to hear me clearly. I'm, I am not condoning or justifying slavery. Neither is Peter. But I want to give us a little context that servants in this culture were often there um, working because they were working to pay off a debt they could not pay off otherwise. Many of them were actually hopeful that they could actually pay off the debt, and some of them actually would pay off that debt and earn their freedom, so to speak. Some of them would actually even choose to continue to work for their masters because they had such good working relationship and environment. There's a Greek word for that, doulos. It's very close to the word that's used here. So these servants in general were treated very, very well. And they were often skilled laborers, not just unskilled laborers. They, um, they were managers. They were teachers. They were artisans. Some of them were even nurses and doctors. They had great relationship. We even see some in the teaching of Jesus, some Roman centurions and officials coming to Jesus, seeking his help for their servants. They were, they were in loving, many of them, relationships. All of this said, I'm sure there's no doubt that some of them were were slaves that were taken by war and conquest, and they were in a scenario that uh, was not, uh, well, that ideal in that respect. 
many of them living in households. They were born to parents who were slaves, and so they themselves were slaves or servants in that culture because they were born into that kind of family. So again, Peter's not condoning slavery here. What he's saying is if you are a Christian and you find yourself in this place, in this culture, here's how you should conduct yourselves in the work that you are in, in your employee-employer relationship. So as I mentioned earlier, that master-servant relationship was the most common relationship work-wise in the Roman Empire. And so we titled this sermon, Helpful Work, Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days at Work. And I know even though a couple of you, only a couple of you raised your hands, I know many of you have hard days at work. I know many of you have hard bosses. Many of you have harsh, even, supervisors. Many of you work in hard working conditions, and you have hard work to do. Many of you have hard work dynamics. There are hard problems that you are trying to solve. Um, there are hard dynamics around the office. I get it. Jesus gets it. The Bible gets it. Peter gets it, which is why he addresses it. And we'll learn a few things this morning. The first thing we'll learn is in verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. I mean, the first thing we learned this morning is that wisdom says to submit to our employers, like last week, as much as we can. Wisdom says to submit to our employers as much as we can. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about this idea of submission to government, which was another fun topic. Should have, should have been here. But in this section, Peter's talking about submission. He's talking about submission in general, submission to government, submission in work, submission in the household, in marriage, and children, and all these sorts of things. And this section... Is, is a section on submission. And like we talked about last week, wisdom says to submit now to our employers, the caveat, as much as we can. Like Peter is commanding willing obedience from servants to masters, to their bosses. And he's commanding us to do the same in our time, place, and culture. And he's asking them to do this with a measure of respect, he says, which literally means a healthy desire to avoid displeasure. Which, by the way, is just helpful, like, career advice, right? Just, like, do this in a way that is helpful. Like, do your job in a way that you know your boss likes. It doesn't matter what you like, right? We were watching a situational comedy, um, or not comedy, situational, it wasn't a comedy, it's just a show, this week as a family, you know, and, and two of the characters were talking about this, and the dad, the older dad, said to the son, you know, son, when you're at work, you just do what your boss wants you to do. The son was trying to, like, do something kind of fun and creative. He's like, don't, don't, just do what he says, right? Just do what he asks, right? Do that and then avoid things that are, like, their pet peeve, right? This is just helpful career advice. Last week we said um, as much as you can, and we're saying it here again this morning. I believe Peter would say they obviously can't admit, submit to things that are immoral or sinful, right? Like, and that's true for you and I at work. Like, we would not be submitted to something at work that's immoral or sinful. And we would not be submitted to something at work that's, well, illegal, right? So, like, if your boss is asking you to do something illegal at work, you should find different work, right? Are you with me this morning? Okay, so this is this obvious. And I just have to say some of these caveats, I think, because as we look at a passage like this where we're telling respect, servants respect, you know, submit to your masters with respect. Employees submit to your employers with respect. Now, respectfully, we can't submit to things that are immoral or sinful or illegal. But what can we do? What can you do? What they could do was look for even the slightest bit, even the slightest way that they could 
they could respect their employer. Even the slightest thing that their employer did that was respectful or respectable, that they could respect their employer for and, for and work in a way that's working toward those things. That's why he says work with all respect. The hard thing is that Peter extends this even to, well, managers, masters who are dishonest or overbearing or harsh as opposed to good and gentle. And I know that some of you maybe have bosses like that. And this harshness that he's talking about, it, he pro you could probably relate to. It's, it's harshness or, or overbearing nature with wages and work conditions and opportunity for growth. And even sometimes in this context, physical mistreatment. You might say, well, why is this? Why, why would anyone, <laughs> why would anyone in this day, or why would anyone in our day submit to something like this? Why would any Christian submit to unfair work conditions? Why would any Christian submit to a harsh work environment? Why would any Christian submit to, to, a, to a harsh boss or overseer or middle manager? Like, why would that ever happen? And well, Peter knows that Christians would ask these kinds of questions and so he gives us the answer in verses 19 to 20 where he says, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? Apparently, some of these servants were. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Second lesson we learned this morning is that wisdom says submission at work is God's grace to us. That submission at work is God's grace to us. It's God's grace to give us an opportunity to, listen to me, give us an opportunity to turn a form of oppression in a sense. Like you're being pressed down with these hard or harsh work conditions. Giving us an opportunity to turn a form of oppression, so to speak, into an opportunity to image Christ to overbearing employers. Peter Davids, a Bible commentator, says it on this section, says it this way. I thought this was good. God is pleased when Christian slaves who bear up under unjust suffering, not because there is no other option or because of their optimistic character, they just think it's gonna get better, but because they know this pleases God and conforms to the teaching of Jesus. Now listen, in their context, the, um, the other options, <laughs> they were pretty slim. In our context, we have options. Like in our context, we go, to, we go to HR, right? And we say, hey, look, this is happening and this is not right. And I know there's things in place and like this shouldn't be this way. So in our context, we have that option. In our context, we also have a thing called a resume that we can start to work on, right? And we can start to find better work. We can find a different place to be where work conditions aren't harsh and overbearing or abusive in some way. We can make a career change. If you're in an industry where it's like, that's just the kind of the way it is here. It's the kind of dog eat dog over here. You can say, well, I could actually just retrain myself and I could make a career shift or change at any stage in life really. Right? I mean, we know people in their 40s, 50s, 60s making career shifts and changes, reinventing themselves, some of the career gurus call it. That's possible in our context. But there are times, and there may be times, 
for you. There may be times for me when we are suffering unjustly at work. We're getting left out of meetings. We're getting cheated out of that project that can allow us to grow to the next spot. We're getting cheated out of a deal. Someone takes it from us in a way that's not so ethical. We get passed up for a promotion when it's obvious that we were the next one and everyone knows it, but someone else gets it instead of us. And even our coworkers say, what is going on with that? When we're slandered at work, when people speak against us, when they don't say the truth about us or the way we do our work, and the examples are endless, there may be times when we are suffering unjustly at work and Jesus is telling us through scripture reading and through prayer and through our, well, accountability partners and people that we get godly wisdom from that we're not supposed to leave. Now, I gotta tell you, I've had this conversation with a number of partners in our churches over, church over the years. I'm, I'm thinking about one friend right now in our church who <clears throat> has expressed this to me a number of times over the years that he is in a place and in an industry and working for um, uh, an employer that, uh, well, can be like this. And that work in, in his industry can be really hard. And there's so many hard decisions to make and so many lines to draw on the sand. And so many, so many things to think about. And so many, so many times thinking, maybe I should leave. Maybe I should go. But no, every time Jesus is telling him to stay in there. I was talking to a guy recently about this, another guy in, in, in his work in a different industry. Just talking about the way things are in his office and the way things are at his work. And the way these things sort of come against him. And the opportunities that he tries to, to kind of turn these things into gospel conversations. But it's It's hard. And he wants to brush up the resume every now and then, but he senses right now is I'm supposed to be here. And as I think about those two faithful, humble, godly men in our church, and there's many more men and women like that in our church, I think to myself, how many overbearing masters, how many overbearing employers have come to know Jesus over the course of human history because they've had a humble, submissive, faithful, generous Christian employee who has imaged something of Jesus to them and eventually at some point gets to share the gospel of Jesus with them. I think the answer is probably incalculable. I don't think we can calculate how many of those people have come to know Jesus and I believe This is one of the reasons why God is pleased when his people respond well, when they suffer well at work, even suffering suffering unjustly, yet humbly and faithfully working because they're imaging Christ to a broken employer. I think this is one of the reasons why that God is pleased, as Peter says, when his people even endure sorrows or grief at work, or even some kind of mental anguish. Listen to me, I I know, I understand. Some of you come home from work at night and you, you, you wrestle, you battle with these things in your hearts and your mind. You talk to your friends, you talk to your spouse. Should I leave, should I stay, what do I do? And, and I think this is one of the reasons why, why when we're mindful of God in these things, that we can actually submit to masters that are this harsh or overbearing because there's some kind of redemptive value in it. And suffering that is mindful of God, he says, is the only kind of suffering at work that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
I mean, we know that unfortunately there are Christians that, that are professing Christians at, at your work that might not be so mindful of God. Or maybe this may have been your experience. Or maybe you're not yet a Christian and you, you kind of uh, got the courage to come to church this morning and, and you know that there's someone at your work that professes to be a Christian but is not so mindful of God at work. Matter of fact, they sin against other employer, employees. They sin against their employer. They try to blame shift. They play the victim. They get reprimanded and punished for it. What I want you to know is this is not the gracious thing. This is not the kind of suffering that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. When professing Christians sin against other employers, other employers or other employees, and, and they blame shift or they, 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 they get reprimanded and, and they complain about it, and all that, that's, that's what anyone deserves. They deserve to be reprimanded when they don't work faithfully or they sin against their employer or employees. It's not what Peter's talking about. And it's, 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 not, it's not good when we're not mindful of God at work and we try to bear this and handle it on our own. Or we begin to think about ways we could undermine other people at work or get revenge. We don't look for opportunities to share the gospel. All these things are ways that we're not mindful of God. Being mindful of God is what he says. This is the gracious thing. Suffering unjustly while mindful of God, even at work, is God's grace to us because it provides us an opportunity to image Christ to our employer and employees, and it provides us an opportunity to be conformed into the image of Christ ourselves. That somehow, in some way, God is going to use our suffering to form us and to shape us into the image of Christ. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that this is what we're actually called to. We are called to be conformed and shaped into the image of Christ. And suffering sometimes, even unjustly at work, can be a way that God can, can accomplish that. God is big enough to, to use unjust suffering to in some way form and shape us into the image of Christ. Peter says as much in verse 22, where he says, for to this you have been called. It's not an accident. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And here I think we learn the third principle this morning is that wisdom says we are called to a life of submission and even suffering and even at work and even to an unjust employer. And I got to tell you, it's pretty quiet because we don't, we don't like this. Like, I, I don't like this idea. I, I don't think we like this idea. I, Peter didn't initially like this idea. This idea of suffering in general. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You shall never suffer this way. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God 
but on the things of men. You are not being mindful of God. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In this scenario, Peter was not mindful of the things of God, so much so that Jesus told him that his mind was being influenced by someone else. You might think, well, how did Peter's perspective change? How did Peter get from this place where he's saying, it's never going to happen to you. You're not going to suffer that way. And we as your disciples, we're not, we're not suffering like that. Like we're ruling and reigning. We're not suffering. How does Peter go from that place to a place where he's saying the kinds of things that he is to this church and to us this morning? I think the only reasonable answer is that he saw the suffering of Jesus. That Peter saw the suffering of Jesus. He saw the example that Jesus set in his suffering and the good that was accomplished through the suffering of Jesus. He saw the results of, of what was accomplished through the suffering of Jesus. Something he otherwise, I think, wouldn't have believed possible if he didn't see the suffering of Jesus and all that was accomplished through his suffering. I think this is the why of our unjust suffering. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. One example I read about this week, I, I could picture in my mind, because when I was a kid, I, well, it happened to me, that I would follow my dad up to this cabin. We stayed up outside of um, June Mountain. And the snow was so thick, it was like up to the thighs, you know. And my dad would step in one step, and then he would step in another. And we were walking up the hill to the cabin. He's like, hey, Matt, just follow me. You know, step in my, step where I step. And so my dad would trounce through the deep snow and make that impression. And then he would tell me, you step where I step. And this is the idea here, that we might follow in his steps. Jesus leads the way. Jesus travels the hardest road. Jesus wades through the deepest suffering. Jesus puts his foot in first. And then he says, son, put your foot where my foot is. You know, suffering is not going to be easy, but I've already gone there. I've already done it. I've already put my foot in first. And now you can put your foot where mine is. Literally, step by step, we follow Jesus that way. The sacrificial suffering of Jesus, I want to be clear, was more than an example for us. But I also want to be clear that it wasn't less than that. I think in our tribe, sometimes we emphasize this reality that the, the suffering of Jesus on the cross was not just a good example. It, it was something far beyond that. And we'll talk about that at the end of our time this morning. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering about that, it is far beyond a good example. But it is not less than that. Let's not forget that, G, that the suffering of Jesus was an example for us. And we do follow in his steps. Peter tells us as much. You might say, well, <laughs> well if God can accomplish so much through sacrificial suffering then shouldn't we just take it one step further? Shouldn't we just go look for it? I mean, if, if sacrificial suffering, even at work, accomplishes that much, we should be looking for it. Shouldn't we just be looking for the job that has the hardest work conditions, the worst pay structure, the worst comp plan, the worst boss? Like, shouldn't we just go look for that stuff so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ? And I'd say, I don't think so. And you can breathe a sigh of relief, you know, yeah. Take a deep breath. Oswald Chambers, he says it this way. I've shared this quote before, but it was just so perfect for this morning. He says, to choose to suffer means there's something wrong. 
If you're looking to do what I just described, can I just be just blunt? There's something wrong with you, right? You're, you're not just looking for that. It means there's, there's something wrong, okay? But, but to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. My friend who's been in the job for years and keeps coming back asking the question and is not released, and Jesus is like, no, this is where you are, that's him. My friend I've been talking with recently that's, that's, that's in a different industry but kind of in a similar situation is like, just, I just think I'm supposed to be in there. Yeah, yeah, you choose God's will even if it means suffering. That's way different than what I just mentioned. Going and seeking it out. Later, Peter tells us that we'll never have to seek it out. <laughs> Unfortunately, suffering will seek us out in a way. It will be common for us. We'll get to chapter 4 and Peter will say this, Beloved, do not be surprised at a fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is not going to be strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I say, well, okay. Well, what does it actually look like to, to suffer well under an unjust employer? Like, what, what does that actually look like? Well, Peter actually, Peter tells them. That's what he's trying to do. He's, again, he's not condoning slavery. He, he's, he's telling them, here's the way you should conduct yourselves if you happen to be in that place, in that situation in the Roman Empire. So he's telling them what it's going to look like. First, it looks like suffering without sinning. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Again, we are following the example of Jesus. We're putting our feet where his feet were. Jesus did not sin. It looks, like it looks like suffering without sinning. And it can be so easy to suffer and to sin against those who are causing the suffering. To, not, to, to, to be tempted to get back at them. Not, not in, even in a maybe way, way that's obvious, but in a way that's a little underhanded or a little covert. Maybe no one else will find out about Jesus never gave in to this temptation in any way in the midst of his suffering. The innocent suffering of Jesus is the first footprint in the snow for us, right? That is his first footprint. Innocent suffering of Jesus. Suffering without sinning. That's what it looks like. Peter tells us it looks like something else. In verse 23, he says, when he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It looks like suffering without settling the score, Right? When they spoke to Jesus in insulting ways, in abusive ways, in demeaning ways, when they derided him and slandered him, he did not do it in return. And again, it would be so easy to, to suffer and to settle the score. Just get even. Just find a way to get back at them. It looks like suffering without settling the score. Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Peter tells us it looks like at least one other thing. When he says, when he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What it looks like is it looks like suffering while trusting God to settle the score. <laughs> Look, you don't have to worry about settling the score. And can we just be honest? There is a score to be settled. We instinctively know this stuff is unjust. 
and God is just, and so he has to deal with injustice. And as Christians, we believe he dealt with our injustice on the cross, and we can be forgiven. One day when he returns, he will deal with injustice once and for all. There is a score to be settled. He can settle it a lot better than you can. That ultimate justice, though, is going to take a little while, I think. Well, I don't know. Things are kind of weird happening in the world, don't you think? Who knows how long it's going to be. It's taken a while so far, and it may take a while from now for the rest of our lives. But I think that's why Peter says he continued entrusting himself. Literally, in the Greek language, it's just something that you continue to do over and over and over again. So for the guy who's in that job at his in this industry, at his work, and it's been a few years now that we're having this conversation, it's like just continue entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. Now for the guy who's in his role in this other industry, just continue entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. Because when we suffer this way unjustly, it's, it gives us an opportunity to, well, to prove that we really believe these things about God, that he really will settle the score someday. We don't have to worry about it. That's not our business. That's his business. And to pray for these people that they'll come to know Christ before that day. Like this is the whole point, that we would image Christ to them and we'd share the gospel of Christ with them so they don't have to be subject to his justice. You don't want that, do you? I don't want that. And as hard or as harsh as they are, you shouldn't want that for them. Now, this is not an easy thing to receive, which is why I believe in part that God gave his people a preview of these things hundreds of years before it would happen. Some 700 years before his readers would have to read these words. They were probably familiar words to many of you. They come from the book of Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. God knows this is difficult. And so God gives his people an example hundreds of years in advance to show them what it's going to be like. And Peter saw this in the example of Jesus. And Peter heard this in the teaching of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your evil name. That could be anywhere, including at work. It's where we spend most of our lives. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. People have been doing this for a long time. And I believe this is why Peter can now tell us that we should not be surprised by this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. 1 Peter 4.12. Look, I understand that when we are suffering, any, even and especially suffering unjustly, it can just feel so big. Like the weight of that can feel so big. I'm sure these servants were feeling the weight. 
And so Peter is telling them, though, at the end here that wow, this is ultimately about something much bigger than them. Like, as big as the weight feels, this whole idea of submitting and suffering, even unjustly, is, is about something much bigger than them. And Look, I want to pause and say, I know that's hard to hear. You, you might be hearing me say that, and you're like, yeah, no, but it's me. It's my life. It's my job. It's my career. It's my family. This is my opportunity. Like, this can affect my kids and my grandkids and my generation and the next one. And I just want to pause and say, I, I know. I know that. I think you would also say that if you're a Christian, you would, you would understand the reality that, that that everything about our lives is about something much bigger than us. Right? And so I think this is the last lesson, and it's in verses 24 to 25 where it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And the fourth and last lesson is that it was God's wisdom. Not my wisdom. Not your former pastor's wisdom. Not your favorite Christian writer's wisdom. It was God's wisdom to use submission and suffering to bring about our salvation. That's, that's God's wisdom. Our suffering, even and especially unjust suffering, it's meant to remind us of the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. If you're not yet a Christian, as Christians, we believe that Jesus willingly submitted himself to a just father, to his just father, to a perfectly just father. But that ultimately meant that, meant that Jesus would also have to submit himself or subject himself, rather, to unjust men. And Jesus says, like, no one takes my life from me. They did not take his life. He says, I lay it down on my own accord. No one takes it from me. I lay it down and I'll take it up again. But the father, the perfectly just father, asked Jesus to submit to something that meant Jesus would subject himself to unjust punishment. Jesus never sinned. There was no sin to be punished for. In God's wisdom, he would use the unjust punishment of Jesus by unjust men to pour out his perfect justice on Jesus once and for all for the sake of our sin so that it wouldn't have to be poured out on us. And that's what we believe as Christians, that we believe our God is big enough to accomplish that. We believe our God did accomplish that. That Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life on our behalf in all of his life, including all of his work. That Jesus died a death we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. And there God put all of the punishment for all of our sins on Jesus, including all the times that we have acted unjustly as employees and employers. All the times that we have not treated fellow employees or our employers correctly or rightly or justly. All the times that we have sinned against other people at our work or in our work or through our work, either by sins of commission like we've done things or sins of omission, we have not done what is right, what we should have done that's right by them. That's a lot of sin. Just in and of itself, Jesus took all of our sin on himself on the cross. 
And when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, on his life lived for us, his death died for us, and his resurrection where he defeated sin once and for all. We place our faith and hope and trust in him, we're forgiven. We're forgiven for all of our sin, and now we're free to, to work in the ways that Jesus has always designed us to work. And we're even free to be submitted to our employers. We're even free to suffer. And we're even free to suffer sometimes unjustly for the sake of imaging Christ to those that we work with. That by God's grace we might have an opportunity to share Christ with them. That they would come to know Christ as well. And I think this is the good news. That God used the perfect submission and suffering of Jesus to bring about our salvation. And as hard as this is, there's really good news in it. I hope you can see it this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your plan. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your wisdom that would even use submission of your son and suffering of your son to accomplish our salvation. And Lord, I don't know what else to say. Thank you just seems like not enough, but we say thank you this morning. Jesus, we want to thank you for, for always putting your foot in the snow first. We want to thank you for not asking us to do something you were unable or unwilling to do yourself. We want to thank you for being the kind of Savior who always goes first. Thank you that you're our big brother, that you're the firstborn among many brothers, the Bible says. Thank you for going first. Thank you for giving us an example. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us and enable us to suffer well, if we're going to suffer, that you would remind us, that you would help us to be mindful of God in our suffering so that it would be a gracious thing for us. Jesus said that you, Holy Spirit, would bring to remembrance all the things that he had told us and instructed us and commanded us. And so we just humbly ask for that this morning, that you'd bring this to our mind as we're at work, that you would help us to be mindful of God, even in our suffering. We're mindful of you now in this moment. We give, want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory you deserve. And we want to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.